everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson, flying solo this week, and it's going to be a little bit of a quick episode, have a lot going on between spring training and the World Baseball Classic, just trying to get everything in here, give you guys the quick updates, and we'll get back to a fuller, more in-depth episode next week. Uh, just to start off, let's just jump right into the big news of the week. Uh, the Marlins on Friday signed infielders Julie Guriel and Jose Iglesias to minor league deals. The two made their spring training debuts on Monday after getting uh, about half dozen at-bats each day on the backfield Saturday and Sunday. And again, this was these were moves that seemed like could be could have been inevitabilities earlier in the offseason back in February when the Marlins were making their cascade of moves when they signed Gene Segura trade for Luis Arias it seemed like Yuli Gurriel specifically was on the Marlins radar the two the club and player had extensive talks there was a deal that was offered a major league deal that was offered uh Yuli Gurriel kind of balked at it there was some disagreement on both sides in terms of final terms so they went to a bit of a holding pattern, and now Guriel is in camp on the minor league deal. Same with Iglesias. Both guys have ties to South Florida. Guriel lives in Miami in the offseason, as does Iglesias. Both are natives of Cuba who defected to the country, and both are veterans that give the Marlins, should they make a club, which feels inevitable, barring something surprising or out or something weird over the final two weeks of camp. The two of them fortify the Marlins infield and give them those final couple bench pieces to round out their roster. Guriel specifically gives the Marlins another first baseman to go along with Garrett Cooper. Uh, prior to Guriel signing, the Marlins didn't really have someone to back Cooper up. Luis Arise obviously has first base experience, but the Marlins want him extensively, ex- almost exclusively playing second, unless it's a break glass in the case of emergency situation. So because of that, they were giving two of their other two of their prospects, Jordan Groshans, who played only third base when he made his de- debut last year and is primarily a shortstop, and Gerard Carnacion, who's primarily a right fielder, who's been getting first base reps in the minors the last couple of years. They've been the two guys who have been getting first base reps outside of Garrett Cooper. And with this, with Guriel signing in particular, the Marlins now have a number two first baseman, which is good considering as much as they like Garrett Cooper and as much as they are saying he's their guy at first base, he has the injury history that we all know about. Going back to 2018 when he joined the Marlins, since then, if you exclude IL since due to COVID-related reasons, whether it was positive tests or close contact or what have you, Cooper has nine injured list stints in in the in his five years or six years with the Marlins. That's a lot, as we all know. And also there's the fact that he's never played more than 70 games at first base in a full season. Having Guriel, having a proven first baseman, a gold glove winning first baseman just two years ago, gives the Marlins a little bit more comfort when it comes to where they are positionally and where they are in terms of their depth at first base. And then with Jose Iglesias, He's been a shortstop sole career, defensively sound, career 270 hitter, 700 OPS. His offense has really come on over the last couple of years. And with his right-handed bat, Joey Wendell is a left-handed bat. Should Iglesias make the team, which, again, barring something unforeseen, seems like inevitability. 
don't think the Marlins would have signed either of these guys if they didn't anticipate them ultimately eventually making the opening day roster. They have a pretty good platoon situation there at shortstop, and that should help the Marlins again when it comes to facing left-handed hitting, with left-handed pitching, I should say, which was one of their many struggles last year. Iglesias is a great right-handed hitter against left-handed pitching. It's both of these moves make sense in addition to adding two more veteran guys who have been there, done that, and like the other additions they made, Gene Segura and Luis Arias, they're guys who are high contact, low strikeouts, which has been the theme of the Marlins offseason, the Marlins hitting philosophy in terms of guys they've acquired, even going down to the prospect rankings with Jacob Amaya and Xavier Edwards. They they are striving for and prioritizing putting the ball in play more so than the power, the home runs, et cetera, et cetera. They want the gap to gap, which is what plays at Lone Depot Park. And Gurrio and Iglesias both fit those spots or both fit that role. And the plan moving forward, since, again, they just signed on Friday. They played their first game on Monday. Uh, Skip Schumacher said that the plan is for them to be off Tuesday, back in the lineup on Wednesday. The team has an overall off day on Thursday. Once they return on Friday, Schumacher said the plan is for the Marlins to see where both guys are at. And then, quote, they'll start playing as much as they can. And Schumacher is really trying to find that balance between how much he gets those gets both Gurriel and Iglesias regular at bats versus how much he holds back and tries not to push them too hard and overdo and overdo it because of just the shortened timeline because of two weeks of camp compared to six and making sure that Gurriel and Iglesias aren't putting too much pressure on themselves and overdoing it each time they step up and potentially get hurt by trying to ramp up too fast and accelerate their preparation more than they need to. So it's a bit of a balance there, but assuming both guys make the opening day roster and, and just the quick aside on the 40 man front, the Marlins have space. Yes. Their 40 man roster right now is technically full, but three guys on their team are going to start in the 60 day IL Max Meyer and Anthony Bender are recovering from Tommy John surgery and Nick Enright still has treatment that he has to do for his Hodgkin's lymphoma, which was diagnosed back in December. He has another cycle of that in July. So the Marlins are going to ha- and because he's a rule five pick, he's going to have to start in the IL in order for them to retain him. So if Guriel and Iglesias both make the roster, the Marlins position player group is basically set outside of one spot, which I'll get to momentarily. Your catchers, you have Jacob Stallings and Nick Fortes. First base, you have Garrett Cooper and Yuli Gurriel. Second base, you have Luis Arias. Shortstop, Wendell and Iglesias. Gene Segura, third. John Birdie's your utility guy. And three of your outfield spots are Avisel Garcia, Jazz Chisholm Jr., and Jorge Soler. That's 12 of your 13 position players. The 13th and final spot would presumably go down to either Jesus Sanchez or Brian De La Cruz both of whom seemed like locks to make the roster before these additions on Friday. And when you look at the situation, it's sort of playing itself out just based off of situation. Uh, You look at both of them and you look at the Marlins bench when Wendell's playing and when jazz is playing, you don't have a lefty on the bench. Enter Jesus Sanchez compared to the righty Brian Dale Cruz. Brian Dale Cruz still has two minor league options. Jesus Sanchez has none. 
So the only way for the Marlins to keep Jesus Sanchez is for him to make the big league club. If not, they have to DFA him. He has to go through waivers, and they have to hope that nobody takes him, he clears, and they can send him to the minor leagues. So based off that, it would logically make sense that Jesus Sanchez gets that 13th spot. And he's been playing really well during camp so far. His bat's been going well. He's been more aggressive on the base paths. He seems a lot more confident than the Jesus Sanchez we saw at times last year when he really started to go into a tailspin when he was when he got into a cold spell after the first month of the season. His confidence is there, and that's really good for the Marlins when it comes to a young guy who can hit both for power and contact and could be help could help them with their spot in left field. And now a couple other quick notables from camp before we transition over to the World Baseball Classic. Uh, relievers, Tanner Scott and A.J. Puck, after being, after being slowed into work after both had some minor injuries, they're both in, they both have made two relief appearances so far in Grapefruit League play. They both pitched scoreless innings on Friday and on Monday, and they look sharp while doing it. Tanner Scott was in the strike zone, which is key for him. Because as great as his stuff is, as much as his slider gets swing and miss and his fastball's in the upper 90s, if he's wild and out of the zone and just walking everybody, it does them no good. And A.J. Puck, he's been solid as well. And again, remember, the Marlins valued him when they got him from the Oakland A's, feeling him as a reliable late-inning option. He impressed through two, through two outings. He's working on a splitter which he was working on back when he was anticipating getting a chance to start in Oakland. So, and now he's still trying to use all four of his pitches, fastball, his changeup, his slider, and the splitter to just be diverse as possible as a lefty option out of the pen. Another reliever who's looked pretty good, Huascar Brazovan, reported to camp a couple weeks late due to a visa issue. He's made two great for league appearances as well, two shutout innings, and... He's a guy who was in some high leverage spots late last year. And while probably not one of the first options when it comes to high leverage, he is definitely an option that can work in that role. And they're also working him to throw multiple innings. And lastly, Sixo Sanchez, he continues to build up via bullpens in the backfield. He's thrown four of them now over the past two weeks. The most recent one was just on Monday. The goal is for him to keep throwing about two a week. He's beginning to mix his secondary pitches in during the bullpens as well. His velocity still isn't 100%, but he's getting closer to being near full strength and getting to the point where he can eventually start facing live hitters. The goal is for him to be facing live hitters by the end of spring training and to be ready early by, for early minor league season. He, pre he may not be ready to go when the minor league season starts in early April, but the hope is that sometime in April, he can eventually inevitably get into minor league games and start that process of finally getting into games that matter for the first time in over two years. And if he's able to do that, he's a real X factor for the Marlins in general, whether he starts, whether he comes out of the bullpen, what have you, just him pitching can be a difference maker for the Marlins long-term. We'll see how that goes, and that's still a little bit of a ways away. And now as we transition from what's going on up in Palm Beach County down to what's going on in Miami, some quick updates from the World Baseball Classic where pool play is beginning to wrap up, and 
man, has there been a lot of good action so far just through the first three days. Entering Tuesday, and at the time of this recording, I'm recording late Monday night, uh, Venezuela is pacing Pool D, the Pool of Death, as it's being called, in, that's being held at, in Miami at Lone Depot Park. They're a perfect 2-0 with already with wins over fellow powerhouses, Dominican Republic on Saturday and Puerto, and Puerto Rico on Sunday. Puerto Rico is 2-1. Dominican Republic and Israel are both 1-1. Nicaragua in the World Baseball Classic for the first time. They're 0-3. They're already knocked out of contention for moving on to the quarterfinals. But Nicaragua, i got to give them a lot of credit. A couple games I've watched them play, they put in the effort. They just don't have the talent to match up with just the, the unbelievable groups that are in that same pool. It was just unfortunate for them on that side, but they'll be back in the qualifiers for the next time, next go round with the tournament. And there's a chance they can make it back. Uh, as for what I've seen, I was at the ballpark Saturday for the first day of games and just that, that nightcap that day. Venezuela, Dominican Republic, it lived up to the hype. 35,890 in the stands. It sounded like a lot more. Uh, fans from both sides, every pitch, every play, every time something happened, it was just complete madness. It was a frenzy after every big hit, after every big play. And this Venezuela team, they're really good. I mean, they took advantage. They faced Sandy Alcantara, the Marlins ace, the Dominican Republic's ace. On Saturday, started reading up, and they took advantage of two big mis- mistakes from him. A middle-middle fastball to Anthony Santander that was taking the right field for a home run. And in the fifth inning, with or the fourth inning, his final, his final batter, a middle-middle slider with the bases loaded. David Peralta sends it to right field for a double, and he Sandy exits with a down 3-1. The Dominican Republic eventually loses 5-1. And Venezuela then, one day later, goes right back at it, stormed out to a 9-1 lead against Puerto Rico on Sunday, ultimately won the game 9-6 after Venezuela or after Puerto Rico started to get after after uh, the after Venezuela's bullpen. But their lineup is stacked. I mean, Jose Altuve, Luis Arise, Ronald Cunha Jr. at the top. I mean, the bottom of their lineup, Anthony Santander, David Peralta at in the eight and nine holes, it's just uh, it's just top top to bottom. Their lineup is great. Miguel Cabrera, Miguel Cabrera pitching playing in there. Uh, the rest of their rotation for the last two games of pool play, Eduardo Rodriguez is going to pitch on Tuesday against Nicaragua. If they beat Nicaragua, they clinch their spot in the quarterfinals already. The Marlins, Jesus Lazardo, local guy, Parkland resident, uh, Stoneman Douglas alumnus. He pitches on Wednesday in Venezuela's pool play finale against Israel. And then Puerto Rico, again, just mentioned them losing in the second game to Venezuela. They came back with a vengeance on Monday with, and you're going to hear this correctly, a walk-off perfect game on Monday night against Israel. Beat Israel 10-0 in eight innings via mercy rule. And I know it's not an official perfect game because, yes, you have to go nine innings for that. I don't care. I'm calling it a perfect game. Uh, 24 up, 24 down. Especially with it being a combined game because of all the pitching restrictions and whatnot. Shout out to Puerto Rico for being able to do that. And because of that, 
And because of that, and assuming the Dominican Republic wins its game against Nicaragua on Tuesday, which it should, the final game of pool play on Wednesday is probably going to be one of the best games of this tournament in terms of the crowd and the expectations and the stakes. Dominican Republic against Puerto Rico. Both of them will be 2-1. and one. The winner of that game will be the number two team in the pool, and the winner of that game will advance to the quarterfinals. The loser will go home right then and there. Puerto Rico trying to make it, make it out of the pool and win it after being runners-up each of the last two tournaments. Dominican Republic trying to win it all for the second time they won it in, in 2013. And Venezuela obviously trying to make its run. A lot of great action already. And again, this is just the first round. We're going to get to see the quarterfinals will take place Friday and Saturday at Lone Depot Park. The semifinals will take place on Sunday and Monday. And the championship game is going to be on March 21st, a week from today, from a week from the day that this podcast comes out. So we'll be able to preview that champ that title game on next week's episode. We'll be able to look through what's gone on throughout the entirety of the tournament and go through one last round of Marlins updates before our spring train or our 2023 season preview podcast, which is going to be in two weeks. So a lot of action left to follow, a lot of just a lot of back and forth, a lot of busy time here as we get into mid-March. And with that, that's going to wrap up this week's episode of Fish Bites. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be back again next week.